1: Welcome to The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Mikel Del Rosario, the Cultural Engagement Manager here at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And our topic on The Table podcast today is Lessons from Good and Evil in Church History. And I'm pleased to have a very special guest with us today coming to us via Zoom all the way from down under. Our guest is John Dixon. John is the founder of Undeceptions. He co-founded the Center for Public Christianity in Australia. He teaches historical Jesus at the University of Sydney. He also teaches classics at the University of Oxford, and he is Distinguished Fellow and Senior Lecturer in Public Christianity at Ridley College in Melbourne. Thanks so much for being on the show, John.
2: Thank you. Always great to chat with you guys.
1: Yeah, um, thank you for coming back on the show. Um, You're you're not a stranger to The Table podcast, and so we're glad to have you back. Well, today uh, we're talking about lessons that we can learn from good and evil in church history. And there was a special... Uh, pack that I got from uh, a book that you had written called bullies and saints in which you actually tackled this very topic of what mm-hmm. we can learn from good and evil in church history and in that pack there was a, a stack of cards which I thought was pretty cool and the first card that I that I just happened to see is this it says are we better off without religion and man what a what a great question for just uh, starting a discussion with people Um how did that question – first of all, uh, tell us the the um, the driving – like how did that question drive your study? Because I know that's a big part of why you wrote this book.
2: Yeah, well, I should say that um, I had nothing to do with the incredible marketing pack that you got. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad the publisher uh, had all these crazy ideas of things to do. Uh, but that particular quote, um, I, I assume it comes straight out of my um, – the opening section of my book, Mm -hmm. where I talk about um, being involved in a debate here in Sydney um, some years ago now uh, that was um, broadcast on our national uh, broadcast radio. And and the topic was, would we be better off without religion? We'd be better off without religion. Mm -hmm. And um, I was involved behind the scenes, uh, you know, on the side that was opposing the motion. We thought we wouldn't be better off without religion, Mm -hmm. but um, we – spectacularly lost the debate. Hmm. The audience, about 2,000 people, uh, voted um, at the end of the debate and it was clear the majority thought we would be better off without religion. And Hmm. Christianity was the main religion under discussion, so it wasn't just like saying Islam or something like this. Right. And I came away from that debate, you know, deflated, uh, but also really feeling I have to confront. uh, Why it is so many people think that we'd be better off if Christianity were, were not around, because to a believing Christian that sounds nuts.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but but people aren't idiots, um, so they they're, they're bound to have reasons. And I think when you start to scratch, you know, what are the reasons? There is enough evidence in church history uh, to lead to the conclusion that Christianity's done more harm than good, if you just go looking for that evidence. You know, Mm -hmm. you're not interested in sort of, you know, a a balanced account of things. Mm -hmm. You just want to find the terrible things. And you can find terrible things that Christians did in the 4th century, 5th century, 6th century, all the way up to today Mm -hmm. and the child sexual abuse scandals and their cover-ups. And you know, if that's your evidence and that's all you want to look at, well, I think I would join in saying we'd be better off without that, surely. Um, my point in the book, though, is that's just part of the story. There's mm-hmm. no denying Christians have done terrible things in Jesus' name they did them. Um, on the other hand, um, Christianity has given the West much of what it loves most in terms of its charity and human rights and human dignity and um, schooling for all and hospitals and so on. All of these things also came from
1: mm-hmm. Christianity.
2: Mm-hmm. So the question has to be not has the church done terrible things? You know, yes is the answer. Just mm-hmm. like every institution that's ever existed has done terrible things. The real, the real interesting question is what's the unique contribution of Christianity mm. to the world? Because no one could argue war was the unique contribution. Because the Greeks and Romans, as you well know, were doing really well on the war front before Christians came along. (laughs) Uh, Torture, yep, tick. Uh, Slavery, tick. Um, So, you know, if you ask what is the unique contribution, it isn't violence, it isn't torture and so on. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: It is these things like human dignity and humility and charity and hospitals. These were not available in ancient Greece and Rome. So they can only have come from Christianity into our Western culture.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting thing you do in the book because you don't uh, you don't kind of uh, paper over the the evil uh, parts of Christian history um, saying, no, they were only good things. Uh, and that's not a simplistic kind of look at church history. Um, but neither do you kind of uh, try to justify it by saying, well, we've done more good than evil. Um, it's interesting how, how you – how did you approach this book in terms of uh, what you wanted Christians and then people of other religions or no faith? What did you want them to come away with as you surveyed this uh, th- these parts of Christian history?
2: It's probably true to say, as I wrote the book, I had my skeptical friends in mind more than Christians. Um, in particular, I, I mean I had people like Christopher Hitchens, um, mm-hmm. who's now passed away and was a great skeptic and wrote that book God is not great, How Religion Poisons Everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I almost had him looking over my shoulder. so I was sort of writing a book that that would be a good history mm-hmm. that even he would go, okay, yeah. Okay. You're not. You're not too biased. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have got away with it because he, he was so skeptical. Um, he, he might not have enjoyed any positivity about Christianity. Mm-hmm. But I had the skeptic in mind. The times I had Christ- Christians in mind w- uh, w- were were times like where I'd be in the depths of describing some terrible things that, say, fourth century Christians did in. Riots and destroying property in Alexandria <laughs> at the end of the fourth century. I'd, I'd be writing about that, and then I'd stop and I'd think, "Ah, oh, I bet I bet my Christian friends are going to think I'm letting the team down." Now mm. you know, I was doing such a good job of telling you how awful these Christians were mm-hmm. that I that I had to stop and think, "Ah, oh, look, I don't want to unnecessarily <laughs> upset my <laughs> Christian friends." And it's really interesting as the book's uh, been out a few months. I um, the criticism has not come from the skeptics. Hmm. Uh, the criticism has come from conservative Christians, hmm. of which I regard myself one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's my own team who who think I've let the team down mm-hmm. uh, by, by um, being so um, brutally upfront about the terrible things Christians have done in history. But, but my, my account is, look, Jesus said, take the log out of your own eye. Mm-hmm. You know? Don't look at the speck in someone else's eye, take the log or plank out of your eye. Mm-hmm. And the book is a, is an attempt to do that through Mm -hmm. Christian history.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a good point. You think about how very Christian it is, and, and even Judeo-Christian, for uh, one to be self-corrective and self-be uh, introspective. And really, as you said, take the plank out of your own eye. Or you think even of the Jewish prophets, who are definitely pro-Israel, no doubt. And yet, they spoke out against the evils, the injustices. And um, we're trying to, you know, let's let's start here, and let's get it right for for us before we can, Absolutely. you know, Uh, point other nations even to to the God of Israel. There's something
2: deeply self-critical in the biblical
1: Mm -hmm. tradition
2: and in the Judeo-Christian tradition. And and actually, history bears that out. And so, as bad as things got in the late 4th, early 5th century… this is exactly the period where some of the greatest reformers also rise up and correct the church, preach against what the church is doing and, and correct everyone. But the same is true in the 5th and the 6th and the 7th and 8th centuries. Uh, this notion of um, departure and renewal uh, is really the story of every century.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, this poses a bit of a problem for those who are sharing their faith, those who are public advocates of Christianity when something like uh, the Crusades come up, the Inquisition comes up. Sometimes people don't even know what those things are they just say those words and uh,
2: we just know they're
1: they, bad <laughs> yes terrible terrible things and so i don't need to listen to a gospel presentation because you know crusades um how do you advise a christian to walk into that space when they're they're trying to either make the case for christianity or just just talking to their friends about their faith and this kind of thing comes up
2: well i spent a lot of time trying to explain how people who've followed the crucified Lord, could end up a thousand years later, uh, you know, killing in the name of Jesus and thinking that their killing brought their own forgiveness, which is really what the crusade theology mm-hmm. said, all right? So it, the, 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 I think the thing is we can be totally honest about how bad that was um, and and don't get immediately defensive. That, that seems to me – Incredibly important,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, because as soon as you start to defend the Crusades, I think pe- people are just going to think that you're um, you're crazy, right? But you can concede the terrible things in the Crusades, and frankly, even if you think the first Crusade was a just war, as I do tend to think, um, because it was responding to Islamic aggression, uh, the conduct of the first Crusade was despicable and made it an unjust war they slaughtered Jewish communities along the Rhine as practice while they made their Mm -hmm. way to Mm -hmm. Jerusalem. When they got to Jerusalem and they stormed um, the city, they slaughtered men, women, and children. And this breaks every rule of just war principle. So um, we can be open about that. Um, And and once you're open about it and you concede how terrible it is, I think then you, you do have a right to sort of explain the crusades and that will partly involve talking about responding to islamic aggression yes but it will also um partly involve explaining as i try to do it some length in the book how christianity itself was co-opted by and converted by pagan warrior culture in both gaul um, and northern europe as as christians in the eighth ninth tenth centuries tried to convert the warrior culture, the Germanic warrior culture, there is no doubt, and we've got pretty good evidence of this, that Christians themselves were converted by that culture. So they started to portray Jesus and the apostles as the ultimate knight with his war band, traveling mm. around doing good, standing up for people, right? We even have a great poem that describes Jesus in just those terms. In fact, retells the Sermon on the Mount as an example of Jesus, the the, ulti- the ultimate knight who um, demanded justice in the world. Um, And and so clearly we see at this point Christians altering their faith to fit in to their pagan host culture. And in doing that, they compromise their faith and -hmm. they are converted by the culture. And so this this doesn't excuse it, but this explains how people who could follow the cross centuries earlier could now pick up the sword and think that they were earning their forgiveness of sins through killing people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was part of the warrior ethic of pagan Europe at the time.
1: Mm -hmm. So as you were surveying church history, you know, people say absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, Was power
2: really the problem? I struggle with this, you know. yes and no um, power is a really good thing <laughs> when used for the sake of others um, one one thing I try to make clear in the book is that Constantine when he became a Christian uh, I, I know you Americans say Constantine but <laughs> in the British Australian tradition it's Constantine this is an
1: international um, show now so hey.
2: <laughs> so um, Constantine who becomes a, a Christian um, he he doesn't make the empire Christian. This is a great misunderstanding. Mm. He um, he allows Christianity to be legal. He does sponsor uh, churches in the way that uh, philosophical clubs and pagan temples and Jewish synagogues had already been sponsored by the empire, given mm. tax breaks and so on. So he allowed that. And that did cause Christianity to flourish, but he did not impose paganism. So here is immense power, but held in a spirit of um, pluralism uh, because Con- uh, Constantine was adamant that, All religions should be able to flourish under his empire, even though he openly admitted that he hopes Christianity wins. By the end of the fourth century, you've got a very different phenomenon. You've got someone like Ambrose of Milan, who's the bishop, but he is the former senator and governor, Roman governor, who's parachuted into the church to be the bishop of Milan. And he changes the role of bishop to be sort of like a city mayor. Now, he starts to push his weight around. He starts to insist on the closing of... Uh, pagan temples, the pulling down of um, pagan statues, say so the Statue to Victory in the Senate House. Uh, he approves the burning down of synagogues, mm. uh, which, which is unthinkable to us. Mm. Later. Um, and and that's where you can see power being used poorly. Um, and yet, if you asked uh, a poor uh, Milanese family in, in, in say, three 90, what do you think of Ambrose of Milan, your, your bishop? They would have said, he is our champion. He, he is the reason we have charitable projects available mm. for all mm. the poor. See, if you were an elite pagan, you would hate Ambrose as a bully. If you were a poor pagan or Christian in Milan, you would love him as the champion of the poor because he used mm. his power for both. Mm. So I don't know if power is the problem. Because power can be used for bad, it can be used for good. And at the same time as Ambrose, um, you've got the Cappadocian fathers, who are themselves powerful men. Um, you know, Basil of Caesarea, uh, uh, Gregory of Nyssa, Gregory Um, These are powerful men. They are elites for sure. Uh, the highest educated people in that part of the world. Mostly known for their Trinitarian philosophy and theology. But these are the people who set up the, the greatest charities throughout Asia Minor. Um, the first public hospital, a massive complex, um, Basil, set, set this up for the good of the poor. Hmm. And so, so their power was set to the service of people. Hmm. And so I am all for that kind of power.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting nuance. That it's not just uh, black and white in terms of it's either all good or all bad. Um, and that's actually one thing I think the title of the book kind of alludes to. The bullies and saints aren't these bifurcated two groups of people. Sometimes you see it in the same period. Sometimes the same person. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And Ambrose is the classic example. I don't know what to do with Ambrose. I don't <laughs> think I would. I don't think I would have liked him. <laughs> or at least <laughs> I, I don't think I would have liked to get on his bad side. Yeah. And yet, he wrote beautiful hymns to to the divinity of Christ. He he established charities. He protected the poor. He gave away his uh, a huge amount of his own vast wealth. So it's, he's a mixed he's a mixed character. And you're right. Um, you know th- this is true in every century. Um, and, and it's different to different degrees. You know, we, we, could, we could go into the 600s and, and come across Bishop Eligius in France. And, and he, he seems only like a saint, not a bully. I mean, I'm sure he had his problems and he was a sinner like everyone else. But this is the man who was the greatest jeweler in Europe hmm. and very wealthy, but actually was convicted by the Gospels that he ought to be using his wealth and resources for the good of others. And so he would travel around Europe using his jewelry to purchase slaves and free them. Wow. Okay. There's still a big slave trade that was the leftover of the Roman slave trade, but also the Saxon slave trade was huge. Um, and he and he would just buy and release, buy and mm. release, buy and release. Mm. And he taught all of his disciples to do so, including the queen, um, who did so. So this is this is someone in the you know seventh century who was a uh, an abolitionist mm-hmm. um, and fiery evangelist who I would probably place in the category of saint. I mean, I'm not using it in the biblical use of the word. It's it's the cliche I'm using it. He was a good guy. He's a guy who sang the beautiful tune of Jesus and, Mm -hmm. and did so really well.
0: God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Cat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform.
1: Man, the beautiful tune of Jesus. I love how, you know, as a musician, you, you have this lovely uh, musical metaphor. Mm-hmm. Here's another cool card that I'd like you to elaborate on. If someone played Bach terribly, would you dismiss Bach altogether? This is a, a wonderful <laughs> conversation starter, and I love using this. Uh, I, I borrow this from you all the time in terms of, uh, in my, my spiritual conversations, in terms of the tune of Jesus mm-hmm. and how we play that. Explain your, your metaphor and how that works.
2: Well, we know to judge... Um, uh, A composition on the basis of its best performance, not not on its poor performance. So we know to distinguish between the composition and the performance. And so if you hear, say, the cello suites, which, Mm -hmm. you know, that remarkable piece that Bach wrote, uh, played by, say, me, who can't play the cello, uh, you might question Bach's ability. But if you hear it played by Yo-Yo Ma, okay, uh, you know, America's greatest cellist, uh, then it's um, you know that you're hearing the real thing and, you, mm-hmm. and, you know, you distinguish, you go, aha, that's a beautiful tune. Mm-hmm. And my point is Christ gave a, the world a beautiful tune, not just the ethic of love your enemy, but mm-hmm. his whole life story was the giving of himself for enemies, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. His, his cross. And that is the shape of the Christian life, self-giving for the world. And there are times when people did not look like that. And what I'm saying is that's a terrible performance. Uh, Mm -hmm. You can hardly hear the composition in some performances of Christians through through history. And yet… Bishop Eligius in France, whom I just mentioned, uh, you know, um, Basil of Caesarea from Cappadocia—they um, are singing the tune beautifully. When you when you look at their lives, you can actually see that gospel ethic of the love of enemy, of the giving of the self uh, for the other. And my my point is, throughout church history, you will find Christians who were out of tune mm-hmm. with the original melody. But you will also find many Christians who were in tune. And so the real question that the skeptic has to ask from Christian history isn't, did Christians participate in all that is base in human nature? The answer to that is yes, they did. The real question is, what was the unique contribution of Christianity to the world? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that will take you straight to the beautiful tune of Jesus.
1: Mm-hmm. That's amazing, yeah, I love that. I borrow that from you all the time. Um, so the point is really that when Christians do good, they're in in harmony, to borrow that musical term again, they're in harmony with the teachings of Jesus. And when they're engaged in evil, they're actually rejecting the teachings of the one that they claim as their master. And so it's uh, how, how much do you mirror the teachings of Jesus and how you are playing the tune, so to speak. Uh, my son actually played cello when he was a lot younger and uh, we recorded a song together, and there was right. a lot of digital massaging that went into that cello <laughs> track. <laughs> you yeah, know, when people trying just, to bring
2: the performance into line with the composition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, well, uh, God, God willing, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in, in a genuine believer. Even though we're all fallen, you know, we're we all out of tune uh, often enough, God's Spirit uh, brings us back into tune. Uh, mm-hmm. And especially if Christians are reading their Gospels and staying close to the Lord, um, because the closer you are to your host culture, the more like your culture you will be. <laughs> the closer you are to the Lord and his Gospel, the, the more shaped you will be uh, by that. That seems mm-hmm. to me a, an important lesson of church history.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how would you unpack the uniqueness of what Christianity has contributed to society in a, just a short conversation with someone?
2: well this notion that every human being regardless of capacity or usefulness Mm -hmm. is infinitely valuable
1: Mm.
2: cannot have come from greece and rome um so what what are the other um rivers uh into christian culture into western culture well they are the jewish and christian it's 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 jerusalem uh, is also the great Uh, river uh, into our culture. And in the Judeo-Christian vision, uh, every human being, regardless of capacity, regardless of goodness, is made in the image of God. And we can see that. I mean, this is not just theology. We we can see it empirically being raised as the point of difference in the ancient world. Mm -hmm. You pagans don't believe that humans are equally inestimably valuable. We Christians do. That's why we pick up uh, the infants that, that you guys have left exposed in the streets to get rid of. We pick hmm. them up. We we set up we set up leprosoria for for the lepers that that, that you won't even go near. Right? We set up places for them. Uh, you discard your elderly. Well, we set up um, um, aged care um, systems uh th- there's no um public hospitals you know the only hospitals available in the ancient world were for soldiers or for the very elites and they weren't even really hospitals they were just sort of doctors who would come and look after you but christians said no th- it should be the great mass of of people that get these and mm-hmm. so they have established hospitals uh in about the year 370 and and over the next 5 centuries there are literally thousands of hospitals and they all come from christians um Education. Um, in the eighth century, uh, there was a great renaissance um, of, of education. Um, Charlemagne uh, you know, had conquered Europe, but he had a minister of education, uh, Alcuin of York, whom hardly anyone's ever heard of, but he, he's one of the greatest people in the history of the Western world. He was a church deacon. He was absolutely committed to Christ, and part of his commitment to Christ was to make sure Europe was educated. He was the most learned man in Europe, and he established schools uh, in hundreds and hundreds of towns throughout Europe where boys and girls, uh, rich and poor, could go and get a good liberal arts education. They weren't just studying the Bible; they were studying grammar and rhetoric and uh, poetry and mm-hmm. astronomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and once you had done, you know the, the 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 seven liberal arts, you could then go on to do theology um, and so on. And this uh, created a revival. Anyway, I mean, all of the all of the things we love in the Western world now, you know. Charity, human rights, hospitals, education, whatever, mm-hmm. they were all given to the Western world by the church. Mm-hmm. That, that's, a, that's an empirically verifiable mm-hmm. statement that is that isn't just nonsense. Now, I'm not saying you need Christianity to keep those things. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying we got these things that we love today because of Christianity, mm-hmm. because there is an intimate connection between Christianity's view of the human being as infinitely valuable regardless of their capacity or usefulness. And Mm -hmm. that changes everything about how Mm. society works.
1: Mm -hmm. And that also prevents Christians today, especially Protestant Christians, from rejecting everything in the past and saying, well, all those things were just medieval Catholics. All those things were just, you know, that wasn't us. So (laughs) don't don't pin that on me kind of a thing. Because as far as, uh, quote unquote, you know, secular society or the world sees it, um, it's just one entire Christian history. yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, they—they're they not making distinctions between um, Protestants and and Catholics, um, and yes, it is a very common tactic. I used to do it years ago. You know, are those Crusades and Inquisitions? Yeah, that was those Catholics. Yeah, that was all the Catholics, right? Um, and and actually, that's that's a very old Protestant line of argument. Um, even great people like Martin Luther uh, dismissed the darkness of the centuries that preceded him. Um, and even used this word of darkness, right? And that sort of cemented in Protestant in the, in the Reformation and over the next two centuries, uh, so in the 16th and 17th centuries, people, Protestants would refer to the period before the Reformation as dark. And not just dark theologically, but dark educationally in terms of charity and technology and so on. Now, that isn't true. It was a piece of Protestant propaganda uh, designed to take all credit away from the Catholic Church <laughs> uh, on theological level and on charitable level. Um, and as much as I agree with the theology of the Protestants, I think their their history and sociology in that period was woeful. It's a slander um, because these great gifts of Christianity uh, to the world, hospitals, education, and so on, really are Christian gifts, and Protestants inherited them and continued to give them to the world. So they are part of our shared tradition mm-hmm. with Christianity going right back to the apostles.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So last card, what has the church learned from its history? Hmm. Not sure if you ever thought these would be used as, as podcast prompt questions, Never. but it's, it's a great thing to, you know, and, you, and, you know, there's, the there's, a, there's a stack of them, but uh, okay. we, just, we just chose three for today. You know, what, what can the church learn from, from taking a look at the history as you've uh, kind of surveyed it in the book?
2: Well, I guess there's a general uh, lesson that everyone should learn by studying history. Um, even outside, you know, Christians and Christian history. And that is um, to wonder what our own blind spots are. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you study enough history, you learn that actually people are a great mix of insightful and beautiful and horrible and cruel. Um, and this is true in just about every era. And you might look at um, say you know, tenth-century Christians in France, and think how could they have done that? <laughs> your your real question should be: I wonder what my blind spot is. I wonder what people three hundred years from now will say about me and my Christianity. Mm-hmm. And and honestly, I I sometimes even wonder if tenth-century Christians could look at us. They might wonder if we are Christians. And why do I say that? Because. The thing that they had much better than we do is a commitment to looking after the needy and the poor Mm -hmm. um, and that to be rich while there are people who are poor um, in your midst is um, to be evil. Um, And I find this very confronting in church history. We, Mm -hmm. We might look back on, say, 11th, 12th century violence and think, how could they have done that? But they'd look at us, as I'm sure 300 years from now, Christians will look back on us, twenty mm-hmm. first century American, Australian, mm-hmm. um, white evangelical, you know, whatever. Uh, they might look on us and say, "Were they really Christians?" Because look how they don't really care for the needy. Look, mm-hmm. look how they can spend thirty dollars on a bottle of wine and and not not think anything of it. They they buy on Amazon just with a with a click and don't don't think of doing the same thing. You know, to, to world vision. Um, so, you, you ask, what does the church learn? I mean, th- this is this is what I learn. What, <laughs> what are my blind spots? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not relativizing um, the, the blind spots of the past because they were real blind spots. I'm just saying I'm made of the same stuff. And so, I've probably got problems. I need to stay close to my gospel. I need to be humble and fear that I'm a bully and a saint in one.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Wow. You know, Daryl Bach's not here to comment on this, but he calls that owning your own junk yeah. Uh, we just need to be honest with what we see in ourselves, what we see in uh, the church, mm. and uh, you know, again, it is a very Christian thing to repent, to uh, ask God to forgive your sins, and to to say, "Hey, <laughs> you know, that's that's why we need forgiveness." Yep. It's uh, it's part of coming to Christ and and uh, being humble. Mm. So uh, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Our time is, is gone very quickly, <laughs> um, but I do want to mention a couple things. There is you mentioned the uh, the cello piece, the uh, Bach Cello Suite Number 1 in G Major by Mm Yo-Yo Ma. There's actually a playlist for those who are listening on Spotify that you can listen to. It's got uh, not only that track, it's got some Gen X favorites like R.E.M., Coldplay, U2, and... John Dixon has a couple tracks on there.
2: Yep. Yes, I've always
1: just wondered how to, how to sneak in some private music that I've written into an academic publication one day. And hey,
2: there you go. good idea,
1: man. <laughs> um, also, there is an audio book, which I had the pleasure of listening to a little bit of it. You can get that on Audible or on the Google Play Store. Um, one thing I really liked about that is that you actually read it. Yeah, um, so I love it when authors read their own books, mm. um, and plus, I'm an auditory learner. So if I hear your I hear your voice saying it, it just kind of reminds me, of, you know, where I heard the idea, and uh, it helps helps me get, make a good connection with the author. So, thanks Great. so much again for joining us today, John.
2: Absolute pleasure. God bless you, mate.
1: And we thank you for joining us on the Table Podcast today. Uh, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Google or wherever you're listening to this, and uh, go ahead and subscribe to the show if you haven't done so as well, and tell your friends about it, because that's how people get to know about the content that we do so that we can uh, share more content with you. I'm Mikael Del Rosario, and we hope that you'll join us again next time on The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture.
0: Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth, love well.